Right now, it's time for Crime and Punishment. Every Monday, we check in with Casey McNerthney from the King County Prosecutor's Office. And this week, we talked uh, once again about organized retail theft. There's been a spate of articles about this kind of thing going on all around the country, not just here. And the th- the most interesting part about it to me is that in many cases, these crimes are not homegrown. These uh, gangs of uh, shoplifters are being led by people who fly in from Eastern Europe or South America. Those are the two areas named in these stories for the specific purpose of ripping off high-end stores. So I asked Casey how the prosecutor's office is dealing with that. What you're hearing is a fraction of what we're seeing in King County. Uh, I talked to Nicole Lawson, who's the senior deputy prosecutor in our office, who handles these kinds of cases. And I said, have you seen this? And she said, we have. You know, We're not immune to it. And it is a problem. We are seeing people traveling, organized theft rings that, that come in and, and commit these crimes and then can move very quickly. And here's what she had to say about it when I asked her uh, just your exact question there. This is nothing new uh, to us. This is a problem that we've had our eyes on for some time. There has been a, a noted increase of individuals traveling to King County to commit uh, retail theft and other crimes of that nature. That is something that uh, we have been working on for the last several months. It is something that uh, the Attorney General's task force is also aware of and is working on. So there are a lot of eyes on the problem and a lot of folks invested in solving that problem. Now, is it just the leaders who travel in and recruit local people or is it the whole group that comes in? I don't know to that level. Uh, my hunch is, is is that from what Nicole was describing is, is, is that there are many people who come in. And what she was saying is it's folks who come in and will either target multiple locations in a certain day or or, or they'll say, okay, today we're hitting Target or Ulta Beauty. And they'll hit as many of those locations as they can. Hmm. So uh, how do you fight back against this? Well, last year alone, there were more than 100 organized retail theft cases filed in King County with nearly 200 uh, criminal charges in those cases. And I asked Nicole how the task force for the AG's office is going that, that she's a part of. And, and she's also gone to different businesses to, to walk through to see what it's like firsthand. Here's how she explained it. We, as an office and myself individually, have gone out on uh, what we've called store walks, where various retailers have been kind enough to host us and basically just take us around their store and show us what it looks like boots on the ground from their perspective, the ways that being victimized impacts their business impacts their employees. And that's been really instrumental. It's been great to not only create those relationships and make those connections so folks know who to reach out to, but it's also been really beneficial for us as prosecutors to see where these crimes happen. You know, reading about a crime happening in a report is helpful, but when you can see it with your own eyes and walk the store's floor and really understand what is happening when these crimes occur, it's really a benefit. It makes prosecuting these cases better. And it creates wonderful relationships, which is which is always a benefit. So you're looking to work directly with the business owners. Yeah. And I asked Nicole about that, too. And she said, you know, there's probably going to be people who hear this who say, hey, I have a business or I'm an employee and I need help. You know, 
I want to talk to someone directly and, and not just hear about it. So she gave me an email to share. It's uh, KCPAO, which stands for King County Prosecuting Attorney's Office, a KCPAO retail crime, all one word, at kingcounty.gov. If you email uh, that and ask for help, uh, either she or someone on that team will, will reach out back to you directly. We're hearing from Casey McNerthy from the King County Prosecutor's Office. And another case here, which you probably recall from last week, happened at Expedia, the uh, travel company. A former employee there had installed secret cameras in the bathrooms at Seattle headquarters. We talked about that last week with Carrie News Radio's Kate Stone. What I did not know was that some of the cameras, which were, uh, I I guess, more concealed than others, were literally sniffed out. Well, uh, there was an employee who found the first one, but then uh, the subsequent cameras that were found, it was a really fascinating uh, work by Trinity, who's a the cutest law enforcement officer you'll see. She's a, a little black lab uh, who is trained to sniff out electronic devices. To sniff out electronic devices? Yeah. Like, electronic devices have a signature smell? Yeah. Gary Ernstdorf is the senior deputy prosecutor for King County who worked on this case, uh, or one of them. And I asked him, what's this dog smelling? The odor is one of the components or multiple components used in the manufacturing of electronic devices. Uh, And so those dogs, mostly they've been used in child exploitation cases or when we're after electronic storage devices. But the number of different applications for the dogs are numerous because we were seeing electronics being used in so many more types of crimes and they contain so much evidence that uh, it's often the focus of investigation to try to find some of these electronic devices. And oh, the big questions are, you know, what kind of devices were being found? And here's Gary on that again. Uh, the dog was able to detect devices that may not have been readily apparent as electronic devices to the naked eye. You know, some of these were just dis- disguised as coat hooks. Some were hidden in toy boxes and some were just otherwise difficult to determine what their true use or purpose was. So the canine in that particular instance it grew to be incredibly useful. <laughs> It's just amazing the technology and what yes. dogs can do and all that, and also what people will do. And that the defendant there has pleaded not guilty to four counts of voyeurism in the first degree. So we'll see how that case resolves. Wow. So uh, a little warning to people who want to uh, plant bugs or other devices around. There are uh, trinities there to sniff them out. Huh? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, doing great work. Casey McNerthy from the King County Prosecutor's Office. Thank you, Casey. Thanks a lot, Dave. You can imagine with the number of smartphones out there and smartwatches. Poor dog must be going crazy. I uh, talked more with Casey about teen crime and uh, in particular that chase involving a 12 and 13 year old in a stolen car. Uh, Considering what happened to the parents of the uh, Michigan school shooter, I was wondering whether the parents in that case might also be held responsible for what they did. But we'll talk about that when we talk to Casey tomorrow. This is Seattle's Morning News. Dave Ross with Colleen O'Brien and Chris Sullivan. There was an article in the Washington Post about an Ozempic marketing campaign, which is using social media influencers who uh, happen to be sturdily built to push the drug on social media. And this has prompted a backlash from the body positivity movement saying that marketing this weight loss drug uh, basically is bringing us back to the bad old days of fat shaming. So I thought we'd call in the doctor. Dr. Gordon Cohen, MD. So I sent you the article. You've read it over. What do you think? You know, body positivity has gotten a lot of attention in the past few years. And really what it is, it's a movement that promotes 
the acceptance of all bodies, regardless of size, shape, skin tone, gender, physical abilities, and so forth. And proponents of this really focus less on physical appearance and more on the overall health of the human body. But there really are a lot of misconceptions about what, what body positivity means. And there is some underlying debate. I mean, the notion that you should love yourself is always important. But having said that, there's no question that being overweight and especially being obese has a lot of health problems associated with it. And so there can be two truths where obesity can impact health because it does, but that the actual discrimination and shame and stigma and so forth that people experience by living with obesity for their weight is also very real. A lot of people who are part of who are influencers in this article that I read in the Washington Post this week about the pushback that these drug companies like Eli Lilly and Novo Nordisk are getting for promoting their weight loss drugs and working with companies like Weight Watchers and their new clinic, they're pushing back and saying this hurts the body positivity movement. And I'm not sure that that's a fair comment. I think it's okay for people who are overweight to want to lose weight because they want to improve their health. It doesn't mean that they should stop loving themselves and who they are. It, it isn't that they shouldn't feel safe in society and they shouldn't necessarily experience pressure to lose weight, although society does put pressure to lose weight. But people should have the opportunity to choose that without feeling pressure from the other side as well, like, what are you doing trying to lose weight? People should be able to lose weight if they want to improve their health. And so we have to allow a space where both sides can exist. And, and in fact, there's going to be some overlap. People need to always feel good about themselves no matter what. I don't think anybody wants to go back to the days of fat shaming. But I believe what I've learned through our discussions is that it is objectively true that if you put on too much weight, basically every disease becomes worse. Th th that's true. I, I mean... The thing is, is we've learned over time, actually, you know, 30 years ago, obesity wasn't even classified as a, a medical condition, but we've learned over time that it in fact is because it's associated with metabolic syndrome and metabolic syndrome is associated with type two diabetes, with hypertension, hypercholesterolemia and so forth. We also know that uh, being overweight or being obese is an inflammatory condition. And as we've talked about many times, inflammation is the basis of so many, if not all diseases that we can experience. So there is medical logic and there are medical reasons for people to lose weight. And again, if somebody says, look, I'm happy with who I am and I'm obese, well, that's okay. You can be happy with who you are and you can live your life that way. But it doesn't mean that you don't run the risk of having these other associated medical conditions. Yeah, the thing is, has been turned on its head here. I'm curious, do you know, uh, because of the, the politics of this, are there doctors who would hesitate to recommend using uh, Ozempic to a patient for fear that, you know, the patient will think, oh, he's judging me? Well, I mean, that, that's a question I can't exactly answer. I mean, I would like to think doctors would never feel uncomfortable recommending anything that's in the best interest of a patient if that's an issue for them. I would hope that that same doctor would also be sensitive to the patient 
uh, feeling either comfortable or uncomfortable with what their body is so that um, if there's somebody who is comfortable with being overweight and they love themselves like they should, that if they don't want to lose weight, the doctor can say, that's okay. Uh, you know, I just need to make my professional recommendation because medical science has shown that these conditions are related to being obese. It sort of goes both ways that people are mad at body positive people are mad at people for wanting to lose weight. No, you shouldn't be mad at them. They, if they want to lose weight, they lose weight. If you want to be fat, you be fat. It's okay. Dr. Gordon Cohen, MD. Dr. Cohen, thank you. Thanks, Dave. Let's look at a, a little deeper into the death of Russian dissident Alexei Navalny, who made his name posting online videos of Vladimir Putin's profligate lifestyle, including some drone videos of his big castle. He uh, did not like that. The cause of Navalny's death remains a, quote, mystery. But most people figure, yeah, this has Putin's fingerprints all over it. I asked CBS's Jeff McCausen whether we are likely to hear a definitive answer from Russian officials at any point at what really caused his death. I think it's very, very unlikely, frankly, Dave. I mean, the Russians have refused to release the body, even though the family has requested it. You might recall that he was poisoned with Novichok, a nerve agent by, Ru by Russian FSB guys, uh, managed to survive that. I think they held him in the hospital, hoping that the residue from that would disappear. But he was whisked away to a German hospital, and they were able to ascertain that he was, in fact, poisoned and then traced it back to the FSB. So the Russians don't want the, this to be traced back to some effort on their part directly. Uh, ironically or cynically, they're reporting right now that he died of a sudden death syndrome, whatever that is. It sounds like execution in very, very nice words. Yeah. To me. Even if it turns out that he spontaneously dropped dead, uh, what I'm hearing certainly from his widow is that that does not excuse Vladimir Putin. No, it certainly doesn't. I mean, the charges against him were trumped up, and they even added like 10 years more in the last few months. Then they moved him away to a remote Arctic uh, penal colony called Polar Wolf. Uh, and he reported frequently that he was deprived of food, deprived of medical care, uh, had to pile newspapers on top of him just to stay warm. It was clear if you saw him when he appeared in courts, uh, even the last couple of months, that he appeared gaunt, lost some weight, and, and clearly... Uh, they either killed him suddenly or they were killing him slowly over time. Now, this has sparked spontaneous demonstrations around Russia, which the Russian forces have met with mass arrests. What's your assessment? Is this going to eventually fade away or is this just the beginning of a protest movement? Well, it's really hard to say at this point. Clearly, the Russians are doing everything they can to squelch this. Even people who are just dropping off flowers at a monument to the those who were murdered during the time of the Soviet Union, which is in Moscow, are being arrested. Police are quickly whisking away the flowers so they don't pile up. I think the thing to watch will be the upcoming elections on the 17th of March. It's my belief they may have killed him now to have that happen some one month prior, thinking things will dampen down. But there are already reports of people suggesting that Russians should go to the polls and write in Navalny's name for president, or they should all show up at noon on election day to overwhelm the election system as a matter of protest. So it'll be main to be seen, though, whether this can be a groundswell of a popular response or it will die down over time. We are hearing from CBS military analyst Jeff McCausen, who uh, writing campaigns, we just said there. And that raised the question for me, can we even trust 
Russians to count votes like that. So uh, I asked him. Well, of course we can, but without a doubt. But I mean, this would send a clear message to to the Russian government and to Mr. Putin that his condition is a lot shakier than I think than he thinks it is. So how tight a grip does he have? Is is it is it absolutely impossible for a Russian protest movement to somehow force him out of office? Who's basically who? Who is he accountable to, if anybody? Well, he's accountable to himself primarily and to a very small circle of people around him. And he's basically taken out the oligarchs or minimized their particular influence. So he's really accountable to no one. One other thing he did after he came to power was he created a much expanded Ministry of Interior force called the Rosgardia, basically sort of a national guard. But this is a heavily armed uh, series of units that can quell crowd control even beyond you know normal police actions. We know several thousand people have been put in prison uh, in the aftermath of the invasion of Ukraine. People are arrested now in Ukraine for doing things like one young woman was arrested because she was wearing blue and yellow fingernail polish because those are the colors of Ukraine. Another was arrested for carrying a a green uh, ribbon on her backpack, which is a symbol of peace. So they're being pretty absolute. And I think Mr. Putin, uh, on the one hand, is absolute, perhaps, but on the other hand, is paranoid. And he remembers also, not over a year ago, that uh, he had a, a mutiny by armed forces under Yevgeny Progozin right. that shook the very foundations of the Kremlin. And I think that type of a social movement is something he fears, harkening back to a massive demonstrations that occurred around the elections back in 2012. Now, speaking of that, how is the operation in Ukraine going? I guess he needs victory there more than ever now. He certainly does, and he's achieved one, and that is capturing the city of Avdivka, which is about the city, of, which was about thirty thousand people. It has what I would call operational, but not militarily strategic importance. It's been a city that the Russians have been trying to capture, quite frankly, for about ten years, because it was assaulted initially when the Russians invaded Ukraine with their proxy forces back in, in two thousand and fourteen. For the Russians right now, it probably has more symbolic political importance than military importance. Certainly, Mr. Putin wanted some kind of a military victory he could tout going into the presidential elections once again. And second of all, for the Ukrainians, Avdivka had become kind of a symbol of Ukrainian defiance and resistance since they'd held out for so many, many years. CBS military analyst Jeff McCausland. Thank you, Jeff. Take care, Dave. Time now for your daily dose of kindness. It's brought to you by Heritage Homecraft this morning. And CBS's Steve Hartman's cameraman is retiring. Why does that matter? Well, for three decades, he and his cameraman traveled across the country with many saying they resemble an old married couple. I knew I was going to get a hook. If you could look backward (laughs) through the lens of the camera that captured the most memorable moments of my career. No way. You'd see the eye of photographer Bob Cacabies. He's pretty. But now, sad to say, Bob is retiring. It's like Simon and Garfunkel breaking up, you know, it's similar to that. Or it could be like Bonnie and Clyde breaking up. Didn't they die? Oh, they got shot. (laughs) But but, but they were going to break up. (laughs) His wit and dear friendship have made my work feel like anything but. We've been partnered for the better part of 30 years now. Traveled to every corner of the country, covered the strange and the somber, the hurry-ups and the waits. And to think it all began with a chance meeting at a company holiday party. And he was sitting down by himself because nobody liked him. 
And um, I said to him, um, if you want a cameraman, I'm your man. I was drawn to his humility. But working with him wasn't so much about like his raw talent as a cameraman. It was just fun. But the raw talent definitely was there. We've been told, sure, <laughs> we're like an old married couple. And I know many of you yeah. can relate. In fact, this week, we put out a call on Facebook asking to hear from other work spouses. Hundreds chimed in, and the relationships they described sounded an awful lot like real marriages. It makes it a joy to come to work. Right. You don't really have to explain certain things. They just know what you're thinking. He's my mentor. He's my confidant. Yeah, this is love. I mean, this is what love looks like. Match made in heaven. <laughs> Bob and I couldn't agree more. You used to tell me, I love you like my dry cleaner. <laughs> I had a good dry cleaner. Well, now I love you more than my dry cleaner. <laughs> okay, here's the story. People have always told me I have the best job in America, and it's true, but not for the reason everyone assumes. Rather, because every week I've had Bob by my side to share the experience. So you're going to miss me? I'm going to miss you a lot. We started out as work friends and we became best friends. And that part will never change. Steve Hartman, On the Road, with Bob Kakamis. 834 Seattle's Morning News. Let's talk auto insurance. Everybody's favorite subject, right? Uh, most drivers will stick with the same insurance company year after year, but according to consumer man Herb Weisbaum, that can be... A costly mistake. Herb is a contributing editor at Checkbook.org, and he joins us this morning. So you you advise uh, shopping around every few years, huh? Absolutely. Uh, Checkbook says that it can save you a lot of money. We did some price shopping in the Seattle area. We made up, you know, couples at situations that they they would be. And I'll just give you one example. We had uh, we made up a couple with two cars living in Seattle, clean driving record. They would pay. $1,120 per year with Progressive, 1500 with Amica, 1500 with uh, Geico, 2376 with American Family, and 3660 with Grange. I'll do the math for you. The difference between the highest and lowest is $2,500. Wow. We had a couple in Pierce County. We added a teenager to the mix, and the premiums there ranged by $5,800. And in Snohomish County, our couple that we made up was a retired couple, two cars, clean driving history, and the price there ranged from the highest to lowest to $1,800. So, yes, we find on average you can save probably a $500 in certain circumstances up to a $1,500 in other circumstances just by changing companies. Let me ask you this. Do you have to shop around or just tell your current provider, hey, I'm thinking about shopping around? Uh, no, you have to shop around, yeah. and uh, there are you know, several ways to do it. You can do it on your own, uh, which will probably take you a couple of hours, but to save $1,500 a year, it's worth a couple of hours. Or do what I do. I go with a broker, and I have somebody that represents all the different companies, and this person finds the best deal for me. And uh, the last time we did it, uh, I had I had to shop because my one company decided not to provide coverage here in Washington State anymore, and I wound up combining homeowners and auto and got $1,000 off the policy by changing companies it was simple it was easy and it, and that's you know a thousand bucks is a lot of money these days oh so the bundling thing is is uh, legit you can save money by putting all your uh, bets with one company huh 
Sometimes. Some companies offer bundling discounts, but the question is, is the bundling discount worth the price you might get from another company without bundling? So the only way to do that is to do the math. In my case, I, I bundled and it was cheaper, but that's not always the case. But it is something to consider. You might get a discount. The uh, the being a uh, long-term customer discount, um, we found that a lot of companies now use, use algorithms that say, oh, Dave Ross isn't going to ever bother to call around and change <laughs> policies. He's too busy on the radio, so we don't have to give them a good price or we can up the price. They're actually using algorithms to do that now. The only way you're going to know if you're going to get a good, good deal is every couple of years shop around and see what the prices are. I didn't realize the algorithms now target me personally. That's interesting. So um, well, you're, you know, you're such a well-known personality yeah. in the marketplace. Now, do you, <laughs> do, you, do you have to wait until your current policy is up to, to uh, go through this exercise? No, absolutely not. By law, if you decide to change policies, they've got to give you the prorated and give you your money back. But the one big tip checkbook has is if you're going to do that, make sure you start the new policy before you end the old policy. Auto insurance companies hate the fact that somebody doesn't have auto coverage, even for a day. They decide that makes you more risky. So if you're going to change, make sure you start the new policy and then end the old policy. That's why you don't want to uh, not have insurance for any amount of time, even right. a day or to not having coverage means to them you're more risky. Now, how do these, I mean, these are huge differences in price. Is that achieved mm -hmm. just because the insurance company elects to make less money or they insure only safe drivers? Or does that mean uh, they have they actually change the amounts of the coverage that you're buying? No, in this case, it was the exact same coverage. It means that it's a competitive marketplace, and you have to realize that. And some companies want to just get the business, and so they're willing to give you a better price. Or some companies have your business, so they're not willing to give you a better price because they already got you locked in. Mm -hmm. And the only way to know is to, is to do that shopping around. I hesitate to say that the algorithm is exactly right about me. Uh, I've stuck with the, the same company for a long time. And, but the main reason was because when we had a claim, they were great. And so I right. said, wow, uh, why, why should I change when these guys have proven themselves, you know, when the chips were down to be a good company? Checkbook has found, based over the years, that in most cases, companies are almost the same when it comes to the claims, what they do. Uh, it's the price that seems to be the big differentiator between the companies. I mean, mm -hmm. if you have a choice between two companies and one, we have ratings, by the way, uh, that, that for people to look at, and you find that one is better than the other for a claim, then make go with that one. But price is the big differentiator, at least we found in the in the auto insurance area. And I should just give that link. So we rated, uh, we had... We rated, and then we had local people in the area who give us ratings for the companies they use for companies that sell auto insurance here in Washington State, and it's usually for subscribers only, but we created a free link for your listeners, Dave. So go to checkbook.org slash FM slash auto insurance, and you can get the ratings for the various companies in Washington State. It's good till 320, uh, checkbook.org slash FM slash autos, uh, auto insurance, excuse me, and we have a whole bunch of information as to how to shop on auto insurance and so on there as well, a lot of uh, detailed articles. Excellent. Consumer man Herb Weisbaum. Thank you, Herb. You're welcome, Dave. Drive safely. I will. I always do. I got that app on my phone that proves it. <laughs> and I get like 20 bucks off for that. Nice. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. Thanks for listening to the show's podcast. We're happy you're here. And you can keep up with the show and find some of the stories from today online at MyNorthwest.com.